is that an H3, H6? H4N. H4N. Yeah, that's right. You can be impressed all you want, bud. Um, okay. Try to talk if you can. Have you ever talked? I'm going to try for the first time. Okay, good. I think this work. I think it's going to work. I don't know how it's going to sound, but you know what? It's it's just like recording somebody out in the field, which yeah. I'm very familiar with. Yeah. I've done that. This will be like, um, you know, like NPR, like quality. Pretend I'm... We uh, need some ambient noise, though. Yeah, pretend I'm a strapping young reporter from a community radio station and you're Morris Dees. Okay. Okay, I can... <clears throat> All right. Uh, Mr. I can do Dees, that. Mr. Dees, what was it like fighting the Klan in the... What was it like fighting the Klan in the nineteen early 1980s? <laughs> <laughs> he used to go, like, drinking with all those Klansmen stuff. I think so. I mean... And yeah. he would just be like, no, they weren't racist. They just didn't want their daughters to fuck black guys. I'm I, like, yeah, uh. yeah, I think so. <laughs> Well, Morris Dees understood where his bread was buttered, and so he also understood that the clan understood that they knew where their bread was buttered. You think they had an understanding? I think so. It is there is a weird ecosystem like that. It's like uh, the symbiotic relationship between like uh you know, motorcycle gang members and cops, for example. Yeah. They yeah. kinda need one another to exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um for sure. No, um yeah, Morris these the it's interesting actually thinking about him uh because he was obviously an embodiment of the uh the very specific american style of activism known as being an attorney. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And on that note, I watched a movie last night. Have you ever seen that movie The Insider with Russell Crowe, Al Pacino? I I know the movie, I've never watched it. It's a Michael Mann movie. Okay. So I, I like I'd never seen it before. I was aware of it. It was like one of those movies my parents probably rented out and it sat on the you know you just table. Got like for... three days worth of late fees on it and just never watched it. <laughs> right. My parents probably tried to watch it and fell asleep in the first thirty minutes or something. Yeah. It came out in the late nineties. So this movie is very interesting. There's a there's a very specific it's a courtroom drama. It kind of is, although very little of it takes place in a courtroom. Yeah. Um, but what it is, there's a very specific kind of American movie, okay? And I guess the best way to frame it would be, like, throughout American film history, there is someone known, there's a, a interdimensional entity known as the newsman. And there is also, on... The other side, an interdimensional entity known as the Insider, and the inner the Insider and the Newsman, they what, kind of. What is the Insider? Are you talking about like a like a source? A whistleblower. Okay. Yeah. The our man on the inside. Uh, yes, someone who. Hence the Insider. Yeah, someone who who has a front row seat to corporate malfeasance or whatever, yeah. or corruption or whatever. Local government corruption, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah. Decides. I'm turning a new leaf. You know, yeah. I'm. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Um, whether it's out of self-preservation or some moral conviction, it's hard to say. But, like, for example, a, a good example would be All the President's Men. Yeah. Um, or that movie The Post. Remember that movie The Post? Yeah, we saw it at the theater, didn't we? Yeah, we About did. The Washington yeah. Post, yeah. By the Pentagon Papers. Yeah, yeah. Then there's State of Play, also featuring Russell Crowe, playing a, a reporter this time. Yeah. In the, in the Insider, he's the Insider. But in, Russell in State Crow, of Play, he's the newsman. Russell Crowe does that in a lot of things. He like I mean, Even in like American Gangster, he was like the cop that was like trying to get at the truth, you know, like trying to... Yeah. You know. He's always trying to find the truth. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, speaking of... Yeah, well, I'll come back to that in a minute. But yeah, he, this is a movie about the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ultimately. Um, and and another movie in that kind of same genre that we never talked about on the show, but I kind of wanted to, was Dark Waters with Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo, yeah. All of them basically have the same format. In Dark Waters, it's C8, you know, Teflon. Yeah. In The Insider, it's tobacco and, like, nicotine and, like, the chemicals they put in cigarettes to make them more addictive. Yeah. Um, 
in all the president's men, I guess it's what it's. I mean, it's Watergate, but we don't even know really what. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. There's all kinds of those like that. Wag the dog. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You see what I'm saying now? Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. There's a specific type of American movie. Yeah. Where there's a somebody's trying to get at the truth, and there's somebody <laughs> trying to stop them from getting at the truth. <laughs> That's exactly what it is, basically. No. But there is someone trying to bring them over to the other side. The newsman, usually. Yeah. Sometimes it is a lawyer. Sometimes it's the newsman. Yeah. Whatever. But The Insider is about, yeah, Russell Crowe plays a chemist for um, one of the big tobacco companies. And it's funny because a lot of this movie is set in Kentucky. Um, because, like, tobacco. Tobacco, okay. You know, and and so... There is this really weird interplay bet- like between various parts of the South. Um, so, for example, so Russell Crowe plays this chemist for a tobacco company, and he like defects. He le- he actually gets fired because he like because <laughs> he like can't handle his liquor or something. Okay, and um, and so they he, so automatically this is another wrinkle he's like not a credible whistleblower he's, because he's a drunk that's exactly right. right he's not a very he's not a perfect person he's a deeply flawed individual right. um and he doesn't he's not up front with the newsman played by al pacino which like that's a funny role for al pacino <laughs> dude it's fucking hilarious because like I feel like most of this movie exists just for as an excuse for Al Pacino to scream a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah. We're gonna do what we wanna do. <laughs> yeah. You're not gonna stop the truth. <laughs> Stuff like I mean, like he plays Al Pacino plays uh an investigative reporter for sixty minutes. <laughs> so it's like it's like and Christopher Plummer plays Mike Wallace for 60... You remember like Mike the Wallace? Mike the jur- Wallace? Yeah, the journalist yeah. Mike yeah. Wallace. Chris Wallace from Fox News' dad. Are they really? Yeah. Th- yeah, that makes sense. Um, Wow, family of newsmen. That's a diseased kind of thing. Of course, I, you know, it's like... I guess, you know, you see him a little bit. I think Tom Hanks played him in, in The Post. But uh, Ben... Uh, what's his name? Oh, yeah, Ben... Um, B- B- uh, Search of the B. B. Ben Bradford. Maybe? Ben Bradley. Ben Bradley. Yeah. yeah, like there was an era of newsman that was almost like they weren't so much interested in the truth as they were interested in like fucking Playboy models by partying with like John F. Kennedy and shit. <laughs> and then like you know writing softball pieces. Basically, they were like propagandists for you know. Yeah, I, I think a lot of them actually. This movie kind of gets into that. It was just very funny. It shows that some of the newsmen were just motivated by like who they got to interview. Like their legacies, like Christopher Plummer's character, Mike Wallace, he's got a, a thing towards the end where he's not sure if he wants to report on this whistleblower coming forward. He can't decide because he's afraid that this co- tobacco company is going to sue CBS out of existence. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, I got to interview the Ayatollah, you know, I got to break uh, JFK and all this stuff. And he's like, but they don't remember you for the things in your early career. They remember you for the last thing you did. He's like, and that, I don't want that to be my legacy. <laughs> Can you imagine a journalist being concerned about their legacy at this point? Uh, it's like, it's just been so thoroughly, I don't know what you would call it, but it's just been so thorough. Like, who are like the revered newspaper men and women of today? You know what I mean? Is it Brett? St- <laughs> you know, is there somebody out there that's like, <laughs> just like reveres Brett Stevens for his like, you know, might not agree with his politics, but like, it's it's people like Maggie Haberman. I yeah, think. yeah, you that's know. a good example. Yeah, uh, you know, I, who, I mean, and this is the case for also for like Mike Wallace or whatever. I mean, like their whole careers is just built off of access, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're totally. just a mediator between. I don't know. The whole they just exist to be limited hangouts, basically, for yeah. the public. Bob Woodward, like all those like sort of famous like Watergate yeah. journalists. They're all it's like Yeah, it's just like they all have their access and that they've built their career off that. Well Al Pacino so why it's hard to be poor and be a journalist. That's exactly right, yeah. Yeah. Al Pacino plays one of the last journalists with integrity in this movie. Okay. And in early on actually you get insight into his character because it tells you that <laughs> I have no idea if this is real or not. I forgot to research this after I watched it. But apparently he used to write for Ramparts magazine. He plays this guy named Lowell Berg Bergman, I think. 
Ramparts magazine was like this. Is it like Soldier of Fortune or something? No, it was a. Uh, it was like a. Le- it was like a new left publication in the '60s. Oh, okay. okay. Or, you know, like. Uh, I never heard of. It. Yeah, it was. I mean, it it went out of business or whatever in the '70s, I think. Okay. Um, but it was kind of like one of the publications of the counterculture movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's in. It's this interesting thing where. I mean, and the, the post kind of gets in this into this as well, like, and all the president's men. Where uh, it's like for the '60s to be valid, to be legitimated, they have to the, like the individuals from that generation still have to serve some purpose. Yeah. And if it's holding truth, speaking truth to power, and and you know, presenting and unveiling this information to the public, then they can still hold on to like their rad radical cred, cred yeah, 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 you know yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's i mean i don't know it's it's a very interesting thing um but so anyways so russell crowe yeah he gets fired you, you don't find out till later in the movie specifically why he gets fired and it, it wasn't even that big of a deal i think it was because like they were pressuring him to put this chemical in the cigarettes and he thought it was unethical or something like that <laughs> listen now listen i'll give the american public a clean cigarette <laughs> Okay, but I draw the line at putting tar, <laughs> nicotine, and benzodrine, and anything else in those cigarettes. Yeah. I, it, I, I don't know. It's it's just so. So he leaves. He has to sign a confidentiality agreement. Um, meanwhile, Al Pacino's character starts doing this story about cigarettes, and he just coincidentally reaches out to Russell Crowe's character because he's heard through the grapevine that he's like some badass at cigarettes or something. Yeah. And so he reaches out to him, and he's and Russell Crowe's like, "Look, I'll do this, but I can't talk about specifically my work with Brenner Williams or whatever tobacco and What does Pacino have to say to that? And and Pacino is like, "You gotta do what you gotta do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for your family, for your kids." You know, I yeah. mean, like he, every fucking like scene is just how Pacino just. <laughs> Appearing to appealing to the, this guy's yeah. like sense of like duty and purpose to his yeah. community and family. I mean, he is yes, but at the same time, he's trying to get that story. It's an interesting movie, honestly. If it was set in an alternate universe, I think it would be like a masterpiece. But just because I know at this point, like how the media works, how this like this type of litigation works, how all this basically works, I was just like, this is fucking. It's so. Su- superfluous it's so unnecessary also like it takes place usually in real life like over a period of 15 years <laughs> yeah. hard to encapsulate all that in like exactly. a 90 minute movie that's exactly although this movie was two hours and 38 minutes <laughs> no, okay. so maybe, they, maybe they got four years of it it is a slow fucking burn man it is a slow i mean but i will say one of the best things about michael mann movies is michael mann maybe better than any other director in the 80s and 90s explored how characters faded to their circumstances come to make decisions about you know i mean like there's that scene in heat yeah. where pacino and de niro are at the diner got a great ass <laughs> <laughs> she got a great ass like yeah he he was faded to make that yeah okay. yeah so um so yeah, so I mean, so like that—that's why this movie is kind of good. It's like, oh, how are these characters gonna decide to do what they're gonna do? Like Pacino, he's trying to decide if he wants to like risk, if he wants to put this guy's life out there, like as a whistleblower. You know, like does he want him? Does you know what's that gonna mean for him? Is it ethical to do that? Like, right. can he should he talk him into it? And C- Russell Crowe, on the other hand, you know, like he's getting death threats. Someone sends him a me- email that's like, "Fuck you, fuck off." <laughs> I'm gonna fucking kill you, which is like never explained. Like at the end, there you know, at the end, there's that title card that you know says where they all end up. Yeah. What happened to Crow's character? Um, he was fine. He went to go teach chemistry. He did like he, and then he got lung cancer and then started making meth. <laughs> okay, well, you know, it's yeah. Heisenberg. Right? <laughs> okay. Um. So no, but so really, so. So, uh, so a lot of, like I said, a lot of this movie takes place in Kentucky. Um, like the executives at the tobacco companies are all like Southern, like Kentucky, like everybody in this act, this movie has the weirdest Kentucky accent. They're like, oh, they do a bad one, man. Dude, it is like his wife 
has the I the a whole fucking movie. I was like, what is what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, and then like the CEO of the tobacco company has this like you know Louisville uh, Kentucky accent where. He's like, I think we got the message across. I think uh, it sounds like Shelby Foot. Yeah, but it, <laughs> they give everybody a Delta accent. Well, no, but actually, that's weird. So there is a scene where he has to go down to Mississippi. So I've explained this movie entirely out of order, but you know, um, for Russell Crowe to go on sixty Minutes and not get sued for violating his NDA, huh. he has to go be a deposition witness in a case in Mississippi. So, before he gets on the plane to go down there, they, like, serve him so he has a gag order and can't talk. But he goes down there. I'm imagining a guy that looks like T. Boone Pickens just intercepting him right before he steps on the plane says, <laughs> I think you need to take this, son. Yeah, you know. he, he does. Um, and so, he gets down there, and he meets with his lawyers in Mississippi, who are also good old Southern boys. And so, there's this courtroom scene where he's... His good old Southern boy lawyers are trying to depose him, and the good old Southern boy lawyers for the tobacco company are trying to stop them from deposing him. And so they're like, you will not violate your NDA. And then his lawyer gets up in his face, and he's like, this is the state of Mississippi. You will not come down here and tell us what to do. And like, <laughs> <laughs> like dude, it's just like this. It's supposed to be this like scene where you're supposed to be like, hell yeah, man. Like, yeah. it's the real South, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so fucking weird. I like, like, actually, the Southerners are actually <laughs> flipping off the federal government. And they're in like all that yeah, kind of stuff. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we we play by a different set of rules down here. That is exactly. Yeah. That's what it's supposed to convey. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, you try to come down here with your fancy lawyers. <laughs> your country lawyers and <laughs> gentlemen of fortune. <laughs> I, dude, it was a totally bizarre a totally bizarre scene. It was pretty funny. But but anyways, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 uh I guess towards the end of the movie I was just like I just couldn't understand really what was at stake anymore though. Because yeah. it's like Okay, sensibly, he needs to go in 60 minutes and speak his truth, you know? He needs yeah, to yeah, live yeah. his truth. The movie is basically about living your truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's supposed to go in 60 minutes, but like I said earlier, the tobacco company has threatened to sue 60 minutes out of existence, so they don't want to do the story anymore. Al Pacino's pissed. <laughs> um, you know, is screaming and throwing things. <laughs> <laughs> Just... Um, Basically being uh, his character from Dog Day Afternoon, but... <laughs> yes, yeah. Serpico-based. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but like, the weird thing about this, and then I don't understand in any of these movies, from Dark Waters to The Post to any of them, is, like, it doesn't matter, ultimately. I mean, I guess the Snowden thing was the closest example to that in a recent memory, yeah. but... What did that do? I mean, I guess it just told everybody what was going on, but it didn't end any of it. Yeah. And it's the same thing with this. It's like, I mean, why why do corporations fight so hard to keep their corporate secret secret? Like, they don't have to. It's like, they're going to get away with it anyways. <laughs> why do we have to go through the song and dance of having a whistleblower and having them, you know, speak truth to power in the media? Because it's not going to matter anyways. Yeah. I don't know. The whole thing is just basically theater. Yeah. Which I guess is why it makes a good movie. Yeah, but I don't know. There's just something about those specific movies that just uh, some of them are good. What but... was the movie with uh, the? It's like Gary Webb's murder. Oh yeah, dude! I never killed the messenger. Yeah, I that, never saw that one with uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Renner. Renner, yeah, was Gary Webb. But yeah, yeah, dude. That one is. Uh... What did he get? What did he break the um, contra the uh, CIA? Um, crack smuggling story. I think that was the, it was the big one. Yeah, they got done up for. Him. Yeah, I have a book of his stories, and the only reason I have it is because early in his career he did like a big expose on um mob outfits, mafia groups that were laundering money through the coal industry. So they were because he's from Kentucky, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Well, uh, Northern Kentucky, yeah, yeah, like the Cincinnati. Webb last name kind of gives it away. Um, so yeah, for a brief time, like in the seventies and eighties, uh, mob. I mean, coal companies were mobbed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. 
which is a funny. I mean, could you imagine trying to, you know, how like in Sopranos, how they sit around outside the construction outfit? Like, could you imagine a bunch of Italian mobsters sitting around outside a coal mine? A bunch of coal miners. Uh, <laughs> in West Virginia, they would be both. They would, the Italians would both be the coal miners <laughs> and the mobsters. I drove down here from fucking Cincinnati. Yeah. <laughs> to get black lung? <laughs> to get fucking, look at me. I'm catching a draft in this fucking coal mine. <laughs> Are you trying to fucking kill me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I never saw that movie. I thought for some reason I thought we watched it together at the old house, but I, I wish it we may have, man. Uh, I've seen a lot of movies that have just kind of went, came and went. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, anyways, The Insider. I do. I kind of like. I gotta say, I kind of like the archetype of the grizzled newsman. You know, like Charles yeah. Bowden, like you know. Oh yeah, Charles those type Bowden. cats that just you know. Yeah. The guy that wrote that uh, chaos book, what was his name? Tom, uh, shit, I forget his last name. Wrote the strip, like Charles Manson and the CIA and all that uh-huh. stuff. Like yeah. he, he, It started out, I think, as like an assignment for, I don't know if it was Vanity Fair or some magazine. And then it turned into like a 20-year-long obsession that turned into a book. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I uh, the, the Grizzled Newsman archetype. Tom is, O'Neill, that's his name. Yeah. I mean, I, look, I I respect it. It would be nice if we lived in that world. Yeah. It did have me thinking, like, I wonder if podcasting will ever be at that same point where we're trying to squash whistleblower. Like, we have a defection, like, you know, Tanya, you know, defects. She's like, the whistle, she's going to blow the whistle on it. And we're trying to silence her. Or, I mean, it's like, and the secret is like, we're just frauds. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just or something even more innocuous like we're homosexuals remember like you, you didn't want to be outed as a homosexual at one point right now it's you know right a, well now it's pride month yeah um yeah uh speaking of that speaking of pride month um i've been going through old you know we talked about it on the show last week about going through the microfilm yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I found a great old speaker piece from 2003. This is from July 2nd, 2003. I'll let you... Honestly, I have entire speaker pieces, and I thought that would be a good exercise. We have a... <laughs> just from yesteryear? <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that one now. now and, Can and you give I'll... me something on the keyboard? <laughs> <laughs> that might be tough with this uh, Yeah, with this I'd Zoom, but I, I can edit it back in. Uh, let's hear a little, little uh, speak your piece pride edition <clears throat> in response to the prejudiced person making a comment on being gay oh I mean homosexual <laughs> is it okay if we use the word homosexual do you know what ignorance means someone who ignores the truth and the truth is you are not of God so don't judge someone for being gay unless you want to be judged for being ignorant, too. God bless you. To the person wanting to know they're not alone, I'm gay. I'm a female. I just wanted to let you know there's actually a gay hangout in the neighboring <laughs> county, not county. Thank you. Gay pride. <laughs> I like how this turns from, uh, like... I thought it was going to go... Profiles and courage to, uh, <laughs> to like, kind of cruising. Right. You know? <laughs> right. <clears throat> I thought you might enjoy that. Well, if you want, if you want a safe uh, place for gays, move to Knott County. <laughs> Knott County being probably the least gay county I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> Apparently, I'm wrong. I thought old speaker pieces would be a funny bit because you can. Um... That's 2003. No, it's 2003. Wow. You can. It's like a time capsule. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like opening up. Um. Anyways, I don't know. I'll find I'll find a whole one later. Um, so, anyways, that concludes the movie corner, the insider. Um, there's something I wanted to talk about though on the show for real, for real this week. What we got? What we got to read? Um, <sighs> take me up. Okay, so there's a there's a couple articles go, um, going around right now. You know, now that the pandemic is. I guess you could say over. Uh, there, yeah, motherfucker. Tell that to people. Uh, tell that to. I'm sorry. I, I'm censored by the by the uh, 
cancel people. You can't. Do I can't it. give you my unfettered opinions. You can't because do I'm this. Afraid sh- of backlash, man. Dude, I'm. I, you can't do this show anymore because I feel censored. I never thought I'd would um, understand what the big comedians were talking about, like Chris Rock and Dennis Miller. Yeah, but all the big the big shots. You know, there's just things I can't say, and yeah. that 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 that. Causes the quality of the show to decline. Think the Dice Man would have went for this. <laughs> <laughs> you remember when when the police raided Apple Shop for playing Andrew Someone Dice? Someone played Club? Andrew. Dice. <laughs> now that that might be the one example in history of Andrew Dice Clay actually being subversive. Yeah, you know somebody somebody almost a teenager almost got shot in Apple Shop. <laughs> For playing Andrew Dice Clay over the airwaves. Yeah, a police precinct almost burned down, and we might have had a revolutionary situation on our hands over Andrew Dice Clay. Over Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> okay. Um, so, like I said, pandemic's kind of winding down. There's been this sort of spate, and there's one I want to cover with Tanya when she gets back, um, about ghosting your friends this summer. Uh, or other people just ghosting in general um but there's like this sort of niche cottage industry of think pieces about like how to behave you know it's yeah, like yeah. Th- this the underlying assumption here is that like you exist in a vacuum you're a little baby you had your brain completely wiped to a blank slate over the pandemic and you don't know how to behave anymore yeah you're like those dogs that they conditioned here are in, the like, new the 30s. rules of ghosting yeah, yeah. Here are the new rules of friendship or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean it. Literally, that is the format. Every fucking that that that. We're, we're gonna talk about what happened to the grizzled newsman. <laughs> he started. He had to work for BuzzFeed to feed his family, and now he's like a listicle guy, writing things like this. Yeah. Basically, twelve exit wounds. <laughs> I used to write. I used to write for Soldier of Fortune magazine. Now I'm doing BuzzFeed listicles about. Exit wound and entrance wound sizes. Uh, honestly, that might be better than working for sixty minutes. That was the, that was another thing I like couldn't get over in this movie. I was like, six, 60 minutes, man. Like the show that my parents would watch sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> sixty minutes. Yeah, like the movie opens with him interviewing a Hezbollah guy, like literally. Al Pacino. Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> literally. So, not Nasrallah. Am I saying that right? <laughs> That literally was it. He's like, you got a public face. We can help you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's, anyways, 60 minutes. Anyways, the grizzled reporter from Ramparts Magazine, who who's, this, okay, this is my last comment on this movie. It also. <laughs> I'm going to watch this tonight. It also throws out there that his mentor was Herbert Marcuse. Do you know who that is? Herbert Marcuse. He he was like this new left figure. He was like a sort of psychologist. Uh, I feel like I do know him. He wrote about like I think he was Angela Davis's thesis. Um, okay, dissertation advisor. He like I'm trying to eros and sexuality. It's I think like might be ca- somewhere like one of the Cal. Anyway, yeah, I think yeah in California. Yeah, I'm yeah, trying yeah, to remember. Yeah. It's he has a book called Eros and Something. But Ebert Macusa. Um, not to be confused with Nick Mancuso, the actor who, <laughs> who uh, later later in his career started just being in all the uh, Left Behind movies. <laughs> that could be a potential career arc for us. I, you know, what we should do we should reboot a a Left Behind movie, but with like an ensemble cast of like real ass actors making an ironic Christian film. That would. That would rule. The pl- the premise of Left Behind is incredible. Like the the we need we need to do the Spinal Tap like of like <laughs> Left Behind Christian movies. Okay, all right. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. I don't know what that. I I didn't mean to just throw that at you in mid, but we'll work that bit out and relay next week. Okay. All right. You know me. I I, I see a good bit. I have to immediately <laughs> walk walk it out. I, I'm I have a blank slate. Like I said, I'm like those conditioned dogs from the thirties that you know, was conditioned by scientists to act a certain way. Yeah. So when I see a good bit in front of me, <clears throat> I gotta take it. Um also like those dogs from the thirties are us. Every every American yeah, post pandemic. Okay. 
Um, giving rise to, like I said, a cottage industry of people who try to explain how to act now. There is this one writer who's been writing <clears throat> multiple things like this for the New York Times. Her name is Kate Murphy. Um, she has made such hits as we're all socially awkward now, um, comparing the effects of the pandemic and lockdown to literal prison. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> there is this one from April. The pandemic shrank our social circles. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> you don't need to rekindle your friendship with your kid's soccer teammate's father if you don't want to. Um, and then there's the one that just came out yesterday, the other day. How to rearrange your post-pandemic friendscape. Quote, unquote, friendscape. That's, it's quoted in the title. Um, so this, this, act, this article actually is a good distillation of those other articles. So yeah. we'll read it. Any traumatic experience, like a breakup, health scare, death in the family, or financial crisis, has a way of destabilizing social networks. We instinctively gravitate toward those who provide comfort and support and reflexively withdraw from those who drain and drag us down. It was no different at the height of the pandemic, except that the risk of infection, infection meant we had to be more intentional about how should we show up in these spaces, obviously. And maybe even a little calculating about who we allowed in our orbit. For many, the pruning process was eliminated. You know, I mean, I'm so goddamn stupid. I was thinking in my head, infection from what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Tom's a long hauler, everyone, by the way. Um, for many, the pruning process was illuminating, if not a little liberating. COVID-19 provided an excuse to shed unsatisfying and unfulfilling relationships while giving people... The time and space to strengthen bonds with those they truly cared about. As pandemic re restrictions ease in the United States and we may once again belly up to an all-you-can-eat buffet of social activity, the question is, will we pile our plates and gorge or be more selective and stick to what nourishes and sustains us? Psychologists, sociologists, and evolutionary anthropologists <laughs> say it behooves us to take... She's kind of bearing the lead here because these previous articles relied very heavily on evolutionary psychology okay which is a totally bullshit discipline so, so what does the butcher baker and candlestick maker have to say <laughs> they say it behooves us to take a more curatorial approach when it comes to our friends because who you are because who you hang out with determines who you are bro let me tell you something a, a weird thing you just said the word curatorial which is a disgusting use of that by the way <laughs> But it's like, oh, yeah, you should be able to, like, mix and match and just, like, get just so the right frame group. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, uh, I, it's just this perpetuation of the human resourcesization of human interaction. That is exactly This right. is terrible. <laughs> but keep going. No, you're right. I mean, what it is is it, it presupposes, that the, presupposes that there is a perfect... Friend. friend group that is going to facilitate your upward mobility. Yes. Gain you access to status and all that kind of shit. Upmost, maximize your happiness, your content, or whatever. Presupposes that there will be no uh, strife or difficulty or anything. Yeah, no. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, like I said, they kind of rely on evolutionary psychology here. This is kind of where their direction they're going in, though. We take it for granted, but having friends is exceedingly rare in the animal kingdom, said Dr. Nicholas Christakis, professor of social and natural science at Yale University and author of Apollo's Arrow, a book about the impact of COVID-19 on our and past plagues on society. Other members of the friendship club include chimpanzees, elephants, and dolphins. Um, friendship is an evolutionary advantage, he said, that allows us to form alliances, cooperate, exchange ideas, and learn from one another. Having friends who encourage, stimulate, and support you is associated with improved immunity, lower blood pressure, and higher cognitive function. Having no friends, toxic friends, or superficial friends, not only... Having run around a bunch of fakes and lies. <laughs> that, that can not only make you feel insecure, lonely, or depressed, but also accelerate cellular aging and increase your risk of premature death. So, that's an interesting thing. Um... I'm not really sure how you – the weird thing about life is that it is a very messy thing. 
And it's really hard to tell sometimes whether a friend is toxic or beneficial for you. Sometimes they might be toxic. Sometimes they might not be. Sometimes they might be toxic at times and <laughs> beneficial at other times. You're not going to be able to curate the perfect configuration of people. Because nobody's good, man. Because everybody is very imperfect. Yeah. Everybody's very flawed. Yeah. God. <laughs> like, the person who holds people to standards of perfection is not going to have any friends. Yeah. Man, it's, it's so weird. This, I mean, I don't know if human resourcesization is the right word for that, but, like, just the uh, sort of, like, I don't know, uh, teen magazine uh trait version like if like somebody said oh i'm an empath uh-huh somebody tells you they're you know somebody tells you they're an empath chances are they're a sociopath <laughs> exactly the opposite <laughs> they they actually lack empathy so they're getting out in front of them. it's like how do we hit like sometimes i'm empathetic sometimes i'm incredibly selfish you know what i mean it's like i don't know no that is the sp- i mean no one is consistent in that regard I mean, there are people who are truth sociopaths, but they're rare, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we shouldn't marginalize them either. (laughs) I've been saying it. It seems as if it should be easy to distinguish between true and false friends, but that's not always the case. Oh, okay. There's some nuance here. Research shows that only half of our friendships are mutual. (laughs) That's... Wow. Yeah, that's a... (laughs) Yes. That is, only half of those who... We think our our friends feel the same way about us. I wonder, you know, it's I, a, a fun. It's not fun. Sometimes it's torturous. But a fun thought experiment is this: like, look, I love I love to shit talk. I, I I bond with a lot of people that are catty and like gossip and stuff like that. And I understand some may view that as a socially destructive behavior. I find it sort of galvanizing in a way. <laughs> but a funny experiment is to think, man. Who's out there saying bad things about me right now? Is like, and sometimes you're just—it's like you're probably just being self-important. People probably aren't saying much about you right, anyway. You right. know what I mean? But it is—it is—it's—it's it's kind of up there with like, who thought you were like really hot and was into you, but just never said a word about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean for sure. Um, or uh, let's see, uh. Yeah, only half of those who we think are our friends feel the same way about us. Blame egoism, optimism, or perhaps the fact that social media has turned friend into a verb. Or it could be that we are socially slothful. Friendships take a significant amount of time and effort to develop and maintain, so we often settle for whoever happens to be around or is pinging us online. It's inertia that keeps you tied to friends whom you find tiresome because it's easier and less anxiety-producing to keep them around than it is to cultivate new friendships. Um, the pandemic shook us out of our social ruts, and now we have an opportunity to choose which relationships we wish to resurrect and which are better left dormant. Ask yourself, who did I miss and who missed me? Also think about friendships forged during the crisis. Maybe with people in your pandemic pod or neighbors who regularly came by to commiserate. Uh, if you thrived and found solace in their company, commit to keeping them close. Rather than thinking about who you want to keep or purge from your social network, Suzanne Dej-White, a professor of counseling at Northern Illinois University, suggested imagining how you want to arrange your quote-unquote friendscape, where people inhabit the foreground, middle ground, or background, depending on how much time and emotional energy you invest in them. Um, So not only... Not only are you like handpicking who com- who goes, who stays, and your friend thing. This is all bullshit anyway, because like, and maybe I just view it differently by virtue of where I grew up at. But like, you're just kind of bound to time, place, and circumstance about who your friends are. <laughs> it's totally random. It is absolutely now. <laughs> as you get older and your mobility increases and all that kind of stuff, that obviously changes, and you have more curatorial. <laughs> ugh power over who you spend time with and who you consider dear and whatever whatever but it is weird to just put like this do this strata of like i don't know they're like systematizing your relationships with other human beings the same way you would like systematize how you clean your house or something that's exactly right i mean think about the people you grew up with like the friends you had since the some of the earliest days of your life turk bird dog snow cone and weed eater (laughs) 
golf cart beef, big snack. These are just a smattering of people that I was in contact with. Right. Usually those people aren't, like, I don't know how to put it, like, sort of delicately. Like, those are people that you know intimately, but not because you chose them, really. And not because they chose you, really. Although some cases, yes, they have chosen you, and (laughs) they will never go away. But just because of, like, as you said, circumstance, time, place, if you're in a foxhole, you'll be friends with anybody. Oh yeah, there's no <laughs> no strangers in a foxhole for sure. It's it's just this weird idea that um because like I even feel that way, you're right. As you grow older, you maybe get a little more you know, determinacy or you might get a little more uh control over or power over the curatorial aspect of it. But even then, like as you're older, like you can only work with what you got you know like you can't you can't put out a wide you can't cast a wide net and just interview every person in your state also it's being presumptuous that they'd want to even like some of these people that you're like curating into your certain like who's in their mind there might be like god damn i hope she doesn't curate me into (laughs) tier b like curate my ass out of your social circle when in doubt when in doubt let's just call it you know yeah 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 um okay this is the this is the part that's pretty insane so yeah you've got the friendscape picture picture it in your mind foreground middle ground and background it requires daily or weekly attention to maintain foreground friends so there are necessarily a limited number of slots four to six minimum or maximum i'm sorry actually that actually links to a story that says your brain limits you to just five best friends forever. So there's literally scientists who study how many best friends for. Dude, that's bullshit. That's stupid. It's like it's <laughs> ma- whoever whoever invented the like the MySpace like top five is came up with that concept. <laughs> anytime something anytime something claims to be scientific, but it's like in a firm round nice number, like well, I mean not five's not nice and round, but it is like you know like uh-huh. an easy number to work with. Yeah. Like anything that's in like fives, tens, hundreds, uh-huh. top 50, it's like horseshit. It's arbitrary. <laughs> totally. You know what I mean? Right. You're right. Like why not seven? Why not seven? Why not the top 634? You know what I mean? Right. Right. Just because it doesn't look as tidy in your mind. That is a really hilarious idea. This is kind of no, gets... No, nobody's like, I'll, hey mom, I'll be home by 732. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're right. Why not though? It's the same as seven thirty or seven, because we like sleek uh, efficiency. Right. I guess. You're right. But this 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 whole like field of science that we've just stumbled upon here. She doesn't name it as explicitly in this one, but she did in the previous one, the one about your friend circle shrank. So what? Keep it that way. What this is <clears throat> is it's a group of evolutionary psychologists who spent a number of years trying to determine how many friends the human cognitive capacity can handle. And the way they've done that is they've done it, you know, longitudinal study over many, many years. If you listen to the episode I did with Daniel Immervar about, like... Very good, by the way. Yeah, one of my faves. Mad that I (laughs) totally spaced. I'm supposed to be on (laughs) Turned out fine. If you listen to that, um, this kind of does something similar in the sense that it makes an assumption based off of like what humans were doing, like let's say twenty thousand years ago, and yeah. says like that that is what we need to aim for. So like they'll so what we need to aim for is uh, eating once every nine days and dying at age thirty one. <laughs> With six friends, with yeah, with, but with yeah, with, with the appropriate number of acquaintances. Right, right, right. This does, yeah. I mean, this is evolutionary evolutionary psychology. They're basically looking at like, uh, like yeah, how did humans interact with each other like twenty thousand years ago? Okay, well then that tells us the human brain can handle only about six friends. You just pulled that out of your ass. I mean, granted, they they go through all kinds of you know, yeah, peer reviewed study and stuff, but. I don't know. I mean, I don't really see how you can apply that to the modern 
day, whatever. I don't know. Um, you know, so anyways, the foreground limited to a number of slots. Some of those may be filled by your romantic partner, parent, sibling, or child. Because they are front and center, foreground friends are the ones who have the most profound impact on your health and well-being, for good or ill. This seems to me, and this, again, this is the thing that bother, bothers me about evolutionary psychology. This seems to me to be something determined more by culture. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, for sure. I mean, a, a society with a different understanding of family and mm. social relations would probably beg to differ. It would probably not... I don't know. I mean, granted, I don't know. I've only lived in this society, but I could. <laughs> well, I lived in one society <laughs> present. I could see a situation where the definition of who is and isn't family isn't as rigid as it is with ours, yeah. and therefore, I don't know, man. Do you see what I'm saying now? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't see how you can make those kind of like biological claims about things that kind of seem like they might be more cultural. And and based on mostly guesses, <laughs> yes, you know, pretty much. Um, and and this is the article. This is the paragraph that really blew my mind. Uh, indeed, depressed friends make it more likely you'll be depressed. Obese friends make it more likely you'll become obese. And friends oh, who wow. smoke. <laughs> And friends who smoke are- I'll have you know I'm the only fatty in my friend my direct friend group, okay? <laughs> Fuck you. And friends who smoke or drink a lot make it more likely you'll do the same. Also, I smoke a lot, but you don't. So I know. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um the reverse is also true. You will be more studious, kind, and enterprising if you consort with studious, kind, and enterprising people. <laughs> <laughs> this is like they they pay for this dreck, and this is just people just like uh, you're judged on the company you keep, and they're just interpolating this for the fucking uh, Buzzfeed generation. Yeah, <clears throat> specifically for the Buzzfeed generation that has emerged from a pandemic and is now being told by a whole coterie of social scientists that you're now a smooth, fresh baby <laughs> right out of the womb. Exactly. And here's how we need to restructure society. Now it starts with no new friends, Dude, no new friends. It, that actually is an interesting thing. Uh, there probably is, and I hate to get conspiratorial here, but there's definitely got to be some sort of movement by a group of social scientists to be like, you know, now's our chance. Now we can remake the body politic and the way they interact with each other. Yeah, because we can't change political economic circumstances. We will try to <laughs> change social interaction. Yeah, trans- that's your true. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right, man. Social interaction and yeah, psychology. It's the it's the fucking it's the Adam Curtis thing, basically. Yeah, it says that people are basically irrational. You need to keep your social circle tight because we don't want you being friends with too many people. <laughs> we don't want you being nice to too many people when you get <laughs> like once you start getting to like three and five, you need to calm down. Right. Also, yeah, if you want to be studious, kind, and enterprising, you need to be with other studious, kind, and enterprising people. Yeah. That part also linked. I'm really interested to see where these links are. (laughs) Science Direct. Is passion contagious? The transference of entrepreneurial passion to employees. (laughs) That's a scientific study that it links to. Mm. Kindness is contagious. Study into exploring engagement and adapting persuasive games for well-being. Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, academic and social motivations on students' academic performance. I don't, there's some credence to some of these, but... <clears throat> um, anyways. <clears throat> yeah, you'll be more studious, kind, and enterprising, etc., etc. That is not to say that you should abandon friends when they are having a hard time. But it's a good idea to be mindful of who you are spending the majority of your time with, whether on or offline, because your friends' prevailing moods, values, and behaviors are likely to become your own. That's the thing about this. Like, it keeps dialing in and out. It'll it'll dial into these really ridiculous claims, these hard claims, and then dial back out and be like, kind of make these just vague platitudes like, well, still, you know, be friends with people. Still, still, <laughs> you don't want to be thought of as a dick, but, you know. <laughs> Just kind of give them a soft ghosting. Right. <laughs> right. Um, then it you know, goes on to talk about the hallmarks of good foreground friends. Um, you know, again, the fact that anybody would need to, need to be taught this, like, granted, I mean, I'm, 
I'm in therapy, so I'd obviously like I need to be taught some things. But the idea that I need to cultivate a front, middle, and back row of people, and then you know, <laughs> it's like you're picking a goddamn the school band. <laughs> Jeff, your first seat this month. Who's the first Fran- chair? Who's the French? And then you can <laughs> shuffle them around by how well they're playing. Right. Um, people who Tanya, do- you've been <laughs> you've been slacking and not showing up. I'm bumping you to third row yeah, this she gets, month. She gets third row this month. Um, people who do not belong in your foreground are those who don't seem genuinely pleased when something good happens to you and show a glint of Schadenfreude when things go wrong. Another clue is they are boastful, self-righteous, fault-finding, or prickly in conversation. Or they always shift the conversation back to themselves. I, 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 I had a recent, I won't say who it was, but a, a friend of mine uh, got his dream job recently. Whatever that means to you. But to him, it meant this. And another friend of mine that I used to live with in college was in competition for the same job. Uh-huh. And whenever, whenever he called me to tell me, not the guy I used to live with, the other friend that got the job, called me to tell me about getting the job. I said, uh, hey, what did so-and-so have to say about it? He just said, this is bullshit. The whole thing was bullshit. <laughs> I'm like, so let me get this straight. You got your dream job. It was not this person's dream job, but something they applied for. And when you right. got it over them, their response was, the whole thing was handled poorly. <laughs> Maybe not a foreground friend. Probably a third chair guy. I feel like most people do this already, but putting a name to it and like codifying it seems very strange to me. Yeah. And like there might be an ulterior motive. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, Susan Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> Is that really? <laughs> it really is, but it's spelled like H E I T L U R. Susan Hitler, a psychologist and author of The Power of Two which looks at friendship in the context of marriage, cautioned that you also want to look at yourself when making decisions about who you want to populate your post-pandemic world. It may be you, not necessarily the other person who's making the relationship asymmetrical and unsatisfying. There's one thing I know about me. It's not it's that I am wholly unsatisfying. So I'll go ahead and say, yes, I, it's probably my fault. <laughs> Oh, man. A solid and good friendship is one where both of you are able to work through intentional and unintentional slights. It's not the lack of conflict that determines a relationship's success, said Mazad Hajat, professor of psychology who studies friendship. I want to study friendship. (laughs) (laughs) What's Nasrullah's first name? Oh, Hassan. Nasrullah. (laughs) Hezbollah. In an interview with Al Pacino... (laughs) How Hassan Nasrullah talks about the importance of friendship. In fact, repaired rifts are the fabric of relationships rather than patches on them. As you go through issues, blah, blah, blah. Like I said, it's just kind of like empty platitudes like that, but like they sprinkle in some of that hard science in there to be like, yeah, but I mean. This is the the influence of Malcolm Gladwell looms large. That That is exactly right. <laughs> you're You're exactly right. They take like sort of vague ambivalent self-help stuff and then sprinkle in some like hard science which is usually arrived at through some very you know specifically culturally influenced um positions yeah and then they call that uh i don't know self-improvement or whatever and honestly we're living in an age where i mean we've just been through something that was I hesitate to use the word traumatic, but it was something that was out of the ordinary that kind of rearranged everybody's expectations for the future. So I guess we need some sort of word for that. I just hate to use the word traumatic because it just gets thrown around so much. (laughs) Right. It's just, yeah, it's a bit overused, but it was, but also too, like, what is that? What's the anecdote for... You know, like a lot of people cultivated. I felt I felt like the last time I saw something like this happen was like Y2K. Uh-huh. People got on some free love shit. Because it's just, <laughs> the assumption was, 
incorrectly <laughs> that in a matter of months or days or whatever it is, you know, the world's going to cease to exist because of some sort of like we just didn't com- like program computers to roll over correctly or right. something. Right. And then now I feel like people cultivated a mindset of no future during this and probably, I mean, for like a lot more warranted reason. I mean, people were just lost, you know, we lost, uh, you know, Portland, Oregon, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what, like, I don't know how you, like, recalibrate just, like, in the aftermath of it, like, having presumably survived. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. Yeah, I mean, if you thought that um, self-improvement cults were bad enough, like, I can only imagine how bad it's about to get. You know? I mean, like, if you really want to stay sane, just join some sort of traditional organized religion. Because... It's either that or someone's going to try to swoop you up into some uh, friendscaping uh, <laughs> scam. I don't know. <laughs> ah, gosh, damn. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll uh, for nine ninety nine a month on a subscription service, we will cultivate your friends and we will call <laughs> and have the tough conversations for you with people yes. that you no longer want in your social circles. We are heading in that direction. Yeah. Absolutely. Because that's the thing, like, we also deeply despise conflict. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Confrontation yeah, 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 yeah. of any kind. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, if you can just make all the aspects of your life efficient, if you can outsource every aspect of your life to some app, corporation, or whatever. Subscription service. Subscription service. Um, and just streamline all those, you know, make everything smooth. Streamline all those elements of your life. Um, we're definitely in a political economic, um, uh, situation to where that would be an appealing thing right now, I guess. I don't know. For $10 a month on the new Patreon tier, we will reorganize your social life (laughs) and have the tough conversations for you. I'll call Mark, Mark, is it? Yeah, Tom Sexton here, calling on behalf of Jeff in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. See, here's the thing, Mark. This is not really working for Jeff anymore, and he's so busy. He's got so much going on that, you know, I had to step in, do a little arbitration here. But basically what I'm trying to say is, uh, you're out. You're out. And then he's like, protest. He's like, I'm not even third chair. Not even third chair. Like, buddy. Listen, just from where I'm standing, me and you confidentially, you're not even seventh chair. <laughs> and Mark, I mean, it's God what it is. You really want to be friends with this guy, man? You know, that's how I did. <laughs> oh, this guy's a dud. That's great. Yeah, no. Give us $10 a month. Yeah, we'll rearrange your friendscapes. Yeah. I, look, I've got a lot of, I have a lot of experience um, mixing and matching uh, you know, facilitating conversations. Turn yeah. your life over to a podcaster. Might have the tough combos for you. That's, Wait, right. that's what it is. It's hard hitting. <laughs> we hold people to account. That's right. And your friends, your friends you don't like, they're no different. And if you ever try to blow the whistle on us, we'll come after you, motherfucker. There is, the no grizz- there is no grizzled newsman waiting for you on the other I side. I have terrible powers, is what you don't understand. <laughs> I have hitters in every city. All right. The day of the grizzled newsman is long yeah. gone. So Yeah. If you're on Patreon, we read the exit surveys. Also, <laughs> we, we also have access to your information. Hey, like that, motherfucker. Your address. Your credit cards. <laughs> you want to, let's start to start like sending live snakes to people that unsubscribe from the Patreon. Uh, yeah, you thought it was your T-shirt, but instead... <laughs> Just three pissed off copperheads have been shaken up while they stuck. That'll in the teach you to say that the quality is deteriorating. Yeah, that'll 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 teach you motherfucker. the third month in a row. Hey, you try. Hey, you try doing this. Okay, <laughs> you're not perfect. God damn it. Oh well, wow. old school like Italian vendetta stuff against everybody that that stoops to filling out an exit survey. <laughs> Sending some sort of trap to where they open it, it cut, severs both of their thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, 
let's see. Anyways, let's finish up this uh, article. <clears throat> um, sometimes all it takes is just letting the other person know you don't like it when things are right between you, aren't right between you, that you care. Sometimes you're just not feeling it. It happens. And usually it's not because of some breathtaking betrayal. More often, <clears throat> it's an accumulation of dings that wore you down over time. That is, that is it's not even like, it's <clears throat> not even, sometimes it's just, uh, it's just, uh, you, you, everybody gets bogged down in their own shit, particularly as you get older. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of it's just, you just feel like you just don't want to let anybody down or that like, you know, you feel like they're not getting anything out of your relationship with you or whatever the case may be. Yeah. You know? And you're also getting closer to death and that makes you more grumpy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> be honest with you. <laughs> um, as a person, I'm growing, so if a relationship can't flex, if it can't survive, it can dissolve or just snap. If you feel guilty, but you have to remember, you feel guilty, but you have to remember if you're changing, so is the friend. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, some of this is good advice, but it's whatever. Um, uh, of course, your personality and your history will with the other person will determine how you disengage, but often the best course is just to slowly back off. Politely decline the other person's invitations and don't extend any of your own. Ghosting is almost never a good strategy. Unless someone is irredeemably toxic, it is better to be gracious. Let the person gradually recede into the background, rather than erasing them entirely from your <laughs> friendscape. <laughs> um, you never know. Just as you can outgrow friendships, you can also grow back into them. Anyways, that's Kate Murphy, author of You're Not Listening, What You're Missing and Why It Matters. <laughs> That must be a terrible gig because all of Kate Murphy's friends, like the ones that like, she's just not like they know how she feels about them. <laughs> right, you know what I mean. Right, right, right. She's taking a bullet for everybody else. You're right. Thanks, Kate. At her at at great cost to her own social uh, climate. Yeah. Honestly, you're you're right. This it, future historians will remember the heroes of the post pandemic, the ones that bravely stepped out there and said, "Look." It's not okay to ghost your friends in, in after a deadly pandemic. Those people are the brave men Those and women the- working at Kroger. That's <laughs> <laughs> part of being a first-line worker. <clears throat> exactly. Um, so, anyways, thank you, Kate Murphy, New York Times. <clears throat> Jesus, man, my allergies. I cannot clear my throat. Yeah, I know, man. I'm scratching my fucking eyes over. I'm dying. <laughs> Red as shit. Um, so anyways, we got over an hour. Um, thanks for listening, everybody, this week. Anything else before we go? Yeah, go sign up for that Patreon. Don't be a little pussy-ass bitch. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to hit 5,000. The quality's deteriorating. You know what? Maybe you're... Maybe you're you know, your perception of things is deteriorating. Right. You ever thought about that? Right. <laughs> I think about that actually daily <laughs> with me. Yeah, I'm, I'm becoming more and more disconnected from reality by the day. <laughs> um, yeah, go sign up for the Patreon. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Trillbilly Workers Party. Um, there's some good stuff on there. We interviewed Jesse Wilkerson just a couple weekends ago. That was a great interview. And we talked a little bit about this very briefly about the, um, you know, because we also talked about the geriatric millennial thing. Yeah. And that's kind of related to this in a way. I don't know. Yeah. Just this kind of like social science that tries to redefine social relations Without doing anything about the underlying political economic yeah. <laughs> circumstances. Yeah. So, anyways, there's there's good content on there that also talks about this. Yeah. Friendship under uh, communism would be an interesting. Well, that's what that's kind of what I was getting at earlier in the sense that, like, a lot of this is determined by culture, you know, yeah. which is obviously determined by political economy you ever let me ask you a question have you ever like really liked somebody like just kind of like like oh i definitely want this person in my life i want to be friends with this person and you just have nothing in common <laughs> but you just feel so warmly for them but like when you talk it's just like, like yeah, yeah, we common, but like we got nothing but i still like this <laughs> yeah no i i that's yeah Definitely. Friendships are complicated and and it's a lot. Well, trying to put a scientific rubric on them is pointless. Yeah. Because like love, it's just it just is. You know, you you don't really there's no way to really determine how or why it happens. It just happens. It just happens to you. Yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, that, but that's, and that, and that's the complicated thing about it too, because, uh, sometimes you might find that you're one of your best friends is a monster. Sometimes you might find that the person you're in love with has done bad things too. I mean, what are you going to do? You, you gotta, life is not streamlined and smooth. That's just the way it is. Wisdom. See, that's what you get when you get closer to death. Wisdom. <laughs> yeah. But nice it could have came, you know. All right. A little earlier. But. 15, 20 years ago. Right? Yeah. Okay. Anyways, um, if you want more wisdom, go to the Patreon. Uh, subscribe there. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, and we'll be over there uh, next time you want to listen. Bye. See you later. See you.